What's up? I'm Ben Hale, and this is the Easy Living Yards podcast. Creating a beautiful yard should be easy. Let's jump in and create the dream yard you deserve so you can enjoy more time doing what you love. Welcome to episode 91 of the Easy Living Yards podcast. Guys, I'm super excited for today's show. Today is a super impactful show to me. Just like last week's show, we had Amanda Gates on last week's show and we made a big announcement for our pivot. If you didn't listen to last week's show, I recommend you go back and listen to it. And for the whole month of October, we've had this wonderful theme of focusing on the environment. And today is no exception to that. We're going to wrap up the month of October with a wonderful show today. I have a guest on today that's going to just blow things away for you guys. I, I love it. And and Easy Living Yards is making a big commitment as well with today's show as well. So stay tuned. And I'm happy to welcome on today's show, Joan Maloof from the Old Growth Forest Network. Joan has a wonderful background and a very diverse history. I didn't realize this when I first welcomed her on the show, but she actually has a background in landscape design. She's a professor emeritus from Salisbury University as well, teaching biological sciences, environmental uh, science as well, and and moving forward into preserving the old growth forests in our country. She has some amazing, amazing discussion with me today that uh, we'll be diving deep into why these places matter and what really drove her to even start this process, this organization uh, that she founded. And I forgot to mention too, she's a published author. She has multiple books out there, um, beautiful, wonderful books, um, especially the the one that I'm familiar with is, is amazing. She did a collaboration with a um, this awesome photographer to... Uh, um, just document kind of photo document and 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 uh, write a, a wonderful tribute to the forests around us. So go check out all the resources she has over at oldgrowthforests.net and I'm excited to welcome Joan on today's show. Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome a amazing guest today uh, from the Old Growth Forest Network. I have Joan Maloof on the line. And Joan is a professor emeritus at Salisbury University, a published author, and the founder and CEO of the Old Growth Forest Network. Joan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So I'm really excited that you're here. Um, I think it's amazing that we can uh, have somebody like you that's working to preserve those parts of our ecosystem across the, the country that are. Uh, threatened and to to take those spaces that are relatively untouched and and to preserve them. So first, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, and I I shared a little bit in the that crazy introduction there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and and maybe kind of where you started? Just a, maybe a quick story of like so you you're a professor from Salisbury mm-hmm. University. Um, maybe what you taught there how you got into writing books, and then how you got into uh, being the founder of the Old Growth Forest Network. Okay, happy to share that story. Um, And it starts, like all our stories do, with 
we're children and we realize the passions that we each have individually. And I recognized that I loved plants and I loved nature. And I was so happy when I discovered that was something that you could actually major in in college. <laughs> I had no idea, <laughs> you know, as a young person, they say, oh, do you want to be a teacher or a nurse or, you know, a fireman? And I never knew you could be a person that worked with plants. So I was um, joyously involved in studying plants, worked as a landscape designer for 10 years. And then I got very interested in the native plants and being able to go into the wild areas and identifying the plants that I saw there. And on those journeys, I realized that I was seeing the same type of beauty that I was trying to create in my designs, but there wasn't a human hand at work. It was just how beautiful nature is on her own. That's so cool. <laughs> and then my studies continued from there. I studied environmental science and ecology. And with the ecology, especially, I began to understand the way the entire system works together, right? So it's not just the plants, it's not just the trees, it's the plants and the animals working together. And the plants are feeding the insects that are feeding the other animals that are building the soil. And it was my appreciation for that whole system of the forest and that understanding that was so crushed when I saw these forests then being cut down and realizing, well, what's going to happen to the box turtles that were in that forest? Or what's going to happen to the neotropical migrant birds that come back to that forest every year when they come back and that forest is gone? And that kind of heartbreak is what got me involved in speaking for the forest. And I did that through writing. Okay. I, that, my first book was called Teaching the Trees. And in that book, I tell the stories about how the trees and the animals and the insects and all these organisms work together. And I also share my emotions about it. And going, working on that book, I went and visited an old growth forest. I finally found one because I kept hearing about these places, but they were difficult to find. And I found one and wrote about it in the book. And after that book came out, people just kept asking over and over, how do I get to that forest? How do I get to that forest? And then I knew that there was an interest out there and that these are places that need to be protected. Wow. That's very impactful. Wow. Okay. And that led to then my second book. I thought, well, I need to write another book then that lets people know where these old growth forests are in the East because most of us know that we can hop on a plane and we can go to San Francisco and we can visit Muir Woods and see the Redwoods, but we don't often know where the old growth forest is closest to our home. And there aren't many of them left in the East, less than 1% of our forests, but still there are some. <laughs> and when you 
are able to connect with those places and see them, then you really understand um, what the earth can do, what she's all about, what can she can create. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> so less than 1% is how much is left. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it was on my travels for that book where I was visiting one forest in each of the 26 eastern states and I was literally driving hundreds of miles from one to the other and it hit me that these last remaining forests this one percent we need to do everything we can to preserve it and not only that but some of these second growth forests, so the ones that have been cut once, maybe they've recovered for 100 years, instead of just cutting them again, some of those forests should be left to recover to become future old growth forests. And it was that moment that I realized we need an organization to do this. It's going to take more than one person, and it's going to take some support financial and all types of support. And that was the original germ of the idea of the Old Growth Forest Network. Okay, wow. And so how long have you guys been uh, an organization? Well, that first germ of an idea started for me in 2007. But I was very active then as a university professor. I was teaching environmental studies and biology and plant taxonomy. <laughs> and um, I, I didn't really have time to drop everything then and, and start an organization. But in 2011, I realized, okay, this is it. Now's the time. And I was able to... Um, a friend of mine who was an attorney helped me with the paperwork to start the organization some wonderful people agreed to be on my board because to start a 501c3, you need a board. And right away, we started this organization that would preserve the ancient forests that are left and to let people know where they are so they can connect with them. And in addition to that, in order to do that piece where we let some forests recover, we decided we should have one forest in each county of the U.S. where forests can grow that will be forever protected from logging and open to the public. So even if there's not an old growth forest in a particular county, we work on making sure there's at least one forest preserved so that it can recover to become old growth again. Oh, that's amazing. So like baby growth, baby old growth forests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, lots okay. of times people will say, oh, that forest is nothing special. It's only 80 years old or you hear stories like that. But then when you start looking around, okay, where is there an older forest in your county? And you realize that there's not one, and that is a special forest, and it should be preserved. Okay, and so I, I want to dive into kind of the benefits of old growth forests. But before that, there's one more piece I want to talk about, which is I'm staring at a third book right now. <laughs> um, and it's a it looks like it's a cooperation between you and this photographer named I'm going to might butcher his name, but Robert 
Llewellyn? Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Okay. Yeah. Robert Llewellyn. Yeah. So that's my newest book. Okay. And um, that is the coffee table book, (laughs) the quintessential coffee table book. Robert Llewellyn is an amazing photographer. He lives in Virginia and he's done books like Remarkable Trees of Virginia, just a super talented person. And he had been taking photographs in the Eastern deciduous forest for a number of years. And his publisher said, um, okay, it's time for you to do another book. Oh, other books that you might be familiar <laughs> with he's done is uh, Seeing Flowers, Seeing Seeds, Seeing Trees, these okay. remarkable books. So his photographer said, oh, let's do one of the whole forest and you can pick who you would like to write it. And that was an amazing call that I got the day that he called me and asked me if I would be the writer. And of course, I relish that opportunity And then the next step was he said, okay, I'm going to share all my photographs with you. And through Dropbox, all of a sudden I got thousands of his amazing photographs. Oh, wow. And I needed to just spend time thinking about how to structure a book about the forest and to be able to use all these photographs in a way that would tell the true story of the forest. Okay. And it's, it is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, I admittedly haven't had a chance to read all of the, the words in here yet, but mm-hmm. I had a chance to flip through the photos and it is just amazing. So It's so <laughs> difficult to read a a photography book like that <laughs> because even even myself when the book came out it was big and it was beautiful and I thought oh I wrote this book I should read it <laughs> at least once in its finished form and the next thing you know you're just so distracted with these photographs turning the page so. well and like you said it's it's I think this is definitely a perfect book for just piecing apart at certain times and kind of letting where it opens inspire you. So it's, it's so beautiful. And um, I noticed too, you had it broken out. Not, I mean, I assumed it just from the reading the the cover that it was a book about the trees, but it's a book about the ecosystems of the forest, which is so amazing. Yeah. The forest is so much more than the trees, right? Okay. <laughs> They're the biggest and most obvious, but It is a living ecosystem. So there's, as we're talking about books, there's one other book in there. Oh, okay. I've written four books. The one just before The Living Forest, which is the photo book, I wrote a book called Nature's Temples. And that's the one that I sometimes refer to kind of tongue-in-cheek as my science-y book. Okay, that one sounds that even sounds as, interesting to me. Even <laughs> as I was writing that, I thought, well, this book is never going to be a bestseller <laughs> because it's got a lot of details of, about the ecosystem of the forest. But I felt that I had to write it because people were getting a lot of misinformation from the forestry industry about the forests. You know, people are told, oh, the forest has to be managed and that the healthiest forest is a managed forest. And foresters would talk people into clearing forests or thinning forests. 
And so as a scientist, I was dubious about this, but I thought, well, I will do the research to see, is this true? Does a forest have to be managed to be healthy? And what I learned in that research was that it's actually the untouched forests are the ones that have the most biodiversity and the largest trees in them. And so that's what that book, Nature's Temples, is all about. I have a chapter on salamanders and a chapter on fungi and a chapter on wildflowers. And it goes on and on and on like that. And in all the cases, the old growth forests, which are the untouched, unmanaged forests, um, are the healthiest in those terms. Okay. I was not aware of that book. So I'm going to have to go nerd out along with you <laughs> and read that book. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So I would love for us to understand, I, I mean, I hear the term old growth forest and, and on the surface, it sounds like that's a good thing. That's a nice thing. But what really makes a, the difference between an, like an old forest, an untouched forest, or a forest that's been around for a few hundred years versus one of these second growth forests or a young forest that um, you know, maybe was cleared uh, a few decades ago? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's helpful to think about the planet Earth and how it functions without humans. So, um, you know, without humans on this continent, you know, we're lucky because we're in a forested continent. We, um, we'll, we have this great deciduous forest in the East and we have these wonderful forests in the West and nobody planted those forests. Nobody, Um, no person anyway, nobody weeded them, (laughs) watered them. Um, That's just what nature does all on her own. And yeah, there's help help from the animals, certainly planting the seeds and from the insects pollinating the flowers. Um, You mean they they didn't have to be transplanted? (laughs) Right, transplanted or thinned. And then occasionally, of course, because we live on a changeable, active planet, things happen. Um, tornadoes will come through and knock a bunch of these trees down or, or ice storms or fires. But those change agents, if we'll call them that, some people will call them destructive, but they're just a part of the earth and they're part of nature. And they're important because they will keep areas cleared so that we can have things that need early successional habitat. But then there are the parts of the forest that have been fortunate and escaped those devastating effects. And they will grow to be many hundreds of years old, many thousands of years old those forests can be in place. And we know that by going to the redwood forest where there are trees that are thousands of years old, or even in our Eastern ecosystem where the trees don't live to be thousands of years old. Well, that's very, very rare in a couple small cases. Most of them, it would be hundreds of years old, many hundreds of years old. But that ecosystem, that forest that they're growing in maybe has been growing these trees and trees have been 
falling and dying of old age for thousands of years in place. So that's what we mean by an old growth forest, one that is relatively undisturbed and it's growing the way it naturally would without disturbance. So um, that disturbance can be natural, as I just described, or it can be disturbance created by humans from primarily these days logging. And that 99% of the old growth that's gone, that's mostly through human cutting and clearing, and then in some cases developing that land so the forests can't come back again with neighborhoods or unlikely to come back if it's agricultural fields or come back as younger forests that continue to be cut. Okay. Is that, do you get that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, so you picture a native forest that's left alone. That's what we mean by the old growth. Okay. Yeah, I remember uh, we just went on a trip to Quebec uh, a few months ago, and there were huge mountainsides that were just completely clear cut, and it was just a stark mm-hmm. picture of how how things are managed a little differently than once you see it. It's it's a quite more uh, <laughs> impactful. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was pretty amazing. So, mm-hmm. and most of that, I know you live in Ohio, and right. You know, Ohio had been 90% forested, but you look around there now and that's not what you see because right. um, that cutting happened in Ohio too, but you don't realize it as much anymore because you're looking at farm fields or highways or things. Right, a few, a few hundred years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. And we've actually have more forests now than we had a few hundred years than we had um, 200 years ago. Is that right? Because, yeah, the the cutting then was devastating in the late 1800s. And now some of those forests have recovered from that cutting and grown back. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of a a hopeful piece here is that there is some regrowth that has happened. Mm -hmm. And those are the the second growth forests that we talk about. And we're at a critical time now because we can either save some of those or we can, you know, cut them all again. Okay. Now, as far as those old ancient forests that you kind of were talking about that right now is less than 1% uh, of what they used to be, what what is the difference with, uh, you kind of mentioned when we were talking about your, your books, that there's a difference in biodiversity um, between those spaces and maybe the forest that I'm used to going to in the local parks where I go for a quick hike. What What is that difference that you're talking about with biodiversity? Right. So um, the old growth forests have a different structure, really. And it's the structure that allows for the biodiversity. So By structure, I mean in an older forest, you will tend to have some larger trees, of course. You know, not all the trees are huge, but some of them will be larger than the ones you're used to seeing. And those large trees um, and older trees will eventually get some hollows in them. And those hollow spaces are important for a lot of the cavity nesting species or animals that need denning spaces. 
sometimes those trees will die and remain standing and then you have a large snag which is also important for animal habitat even just the mosses in a forest do better in the old growth forest because of the large surface area of the trunk and the thick bark that holds more moisture and um, that bark surface also contains more insects that are more food for the birds. So you'll have these tall trees, some of them will have hollows for habitat, and then under that, you'll have a subcanopy. So you'll have more variety of tree species than you would in these younger forests. And then on the forest floor, you will have a greater number of wildflowers because also occasionally when one of these big old trees falls over, it will create a sunlight gap that will allow species that need that sunlight to grow in the forest where the younger forests, where the trees are all smaller and close together don't allow light to get to the forest floor. And then there's things that we don't even understand yet, Ben, like there are many more fungi species in a forest, the older it gets, the old growth have the most. Why is that? Um, even species like lichens, there'll be more of them in an old forest. And it may just take centuries for some of these organisms to develop and find their way into the forest. So it's this structure and also some of those large old trees, when they finally die of natural causes of old age and fall over, they will become logs on the forest floor that are habitat for many, many creatures like ground beetles and the salamanders and the lizards that eat them and the snakes that eat them. So it's this complexity of the old forest that gives it the biodiversity. And when you come through and cut an old forest like that, you're, you're instantly reducing the biodiversity and some of those species that were there will not come back. Okay. Okay. That's, that's so interesting. And, and so is this kind of an, a way to paraphrase all of that is, is that there's just so much more nutrient cycling and so many more niches that there's so much more opportunity for biodiversity? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly right. Very well put okay. as an apologist. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so small things like in my first book, Teaching the Trees, I was talking about, wrote about sycamore trees. You know, when you I, remove I, the sycamore trees from a forest, you're not just removing that tree. You're also removing the eight species of insect that only live on sycamore trees. Okay. So there's a lot of specialization. The specialists. Too. Re- if you remove the beech trees, you're removing the beech drops, which is a, um, a small plant that grows on the forest floor that is a parasite on the beech roots. And oh, okay. And, and you're also removing the fungi then that connect the beech tree roots with the beech drops. So um, this complex structure with all these niche spaces, um, we, don't, we don't even begin to understand the, the totality of it 
you know, we're just now learning about the fungal connections underground, just learning about it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. You're you're speaking my language right now. I have a background in microbiology. So <laughs> every yeah. time I, I, I'm always like, yes, <laughs> we're talking about fungus now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. So this is really, really interesting. So that's a, a wonderful, I guess, introduction to to how cool these old forests are. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to, I want to take a switch, a little bit of a pivot here. You mentioned at, at the beginning of our talk here and also right before we started recording that you have a background in landscape design as well, right? That's right. Okay. And so I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts knowing now if, if you kind of come to, to the present, now you're working to preserve these these ancient gems that are left like the last little bits that are left in our country here. And so as you're thinking about that and you're thinking about your experience with landscape design as well, and your experience with teaching uh, environmental science and, and everything you, you taught about biology, what would you recommend to uh, myself and my listeners who are focused on creating our own landscapes to be, environmentally conscious, but also beautiful and healthy and vibrant. Would there be any, we could talk for days on this, I'm sure, but would you have any kind of guidance or tips or thoughts that you'd like to share? Mm -hmm. Sure. I would love to. Um, Yeah. So I'm a a gardener like you, like I said, and I'm not a purist, you know, I, I've had the crepe myrtles and I've had the uh, lily of the valley and the peonies and all those things that we love, the bearded iris, you know, I, I love all those flowers, but I also think we need to have wild spaces in our garden. We are fortunate um, that I mean, I live in Maryland, you live in Ohio. A lot of our listeners probably live in places that were forests at one time, the place where we're sitting. So if we allow corners of our gardens to go wild, they are going to naturally want to become forests. Now, if you live close to a natural area, that'll happen faster than if you live in a very urban area, but it will eventually happen that you will get natives that will come in there all on their own. And then it becomes more of an editing process, you know, removing the invasive weeds (laughs) and just letting nature um, plant what belongs in that space. So uh, my daughter has, uh, she lives a few blocks from me in our small town and I like to help her in her garden. And I was removing some bayberries out of the front of her yard this week. And then I noticed all these little tree seedlings, these native tree seedlings that were coming up. There was a loblolly pine and there was a, um, a red cedar, Juniperus virginiana. There was even a little uh, willow oak and of course the red maples. No, And those tree species that are native to the area that took hold there on their own are going to be some of the toughest trees. So I 
like to dig up those little trees if I have a spot for them. And I'll just knock off the, all the soil off the roots. And um, it's very easy to plant them when they're that small. And they get adjusted very well to the places where you put them in. And I think those little native trees are going to take off and grow faster than some of the things that you would find in a nursery that are have roots that are constricted. And that's that's what I would say to our gardeners to look for either create wild spaces where nature can do its thing in your yard or seek out yards that do have wild spaces and transplant some of those small native wild plants into your yard. Okay. So that's really cool. So for one, it's, it's recognizing that opportunity, I guess, right? Most of us would probably just cut out that bayberry and, and dug yeah. up a pit right there and knock out all the little tiny plants and, and put right. something new in, right? So right. recognizing the opportunity is, mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. And, then, and then trying to create your own little pocket of wilderness, Mm-hmm. And maybe even I wrote about this in Teaching the Trees, you know, maybe stake it out so it doesn't look like a mistake, you know. Okay. You know, put in some stakes, maybe in a rope and say, you know, wildlife garden. <laughs> and you'd be amazed at not only the plants that come up in there, but the insects and the butterflies and the frogs and the snails and all kinds of living creatures that will try to heal that piece of earth. Okay. That's so interesting. All right. Well, we're going to need to wrap up here we could talk for hours probably, and I'm sure you need to go as well. (laughs) Before we wrap up, I wanted to share a little gift and that is that um, easy living yards. uh, So my business is committed to um, committing 10% of all revenue to uh, some sort of environmental or social cause. And so I'd like to make a contribution to the, a very small contribution to the old growth forest network uh, from my first uh, contributors from this year uh, with easy living yards. So I wanted to share that with you and thank and you. That is so <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, I always, I like to say we're not just a network of forests. We're a network of people who care about forests and that's how this organization can live and grow because people do care about forests. So thank you for caring about forests and thank you for caring about the old growth forest network. (laughs) Well, thank you. And thanks for so much you're doing because this, when I just, so I discovered you guys through the native plants podcast. So for anybody that's listening who hasn't heard of the native plants podcast and is interested in native plants, it's a, it's a fun show. And so I heard about you there and I'm so thankful I did because I was, I was so excited. I had to look up your, your website right away and, and find out about where the closest forest to me was and, and what I could learn about it. So, um, so thank yeah. you so much for what you're doing. It's, and if any of your listeners are wondering where they can <laughs> see one of these older forests, our website is oldgrowthforest.net and you can look up by state and by county and we give full directions to where these forests are and what they're like. So get out there to um, enjoy those forests when you're taking a break from your beautiful yards. <laughs> thanks, Ben. Okay, thank you. And so you, you read my mind. So uh, thanks for sharing your website. And if there's anything people want to do to get involved, is it just through the website as well? 
Yes, that's the best way. Um, they can always donate like you did, which is wonderful. Or we have a process where people can volunteer to be um, a county coordinator and they look around their county and help us find the forest for the network in their county. And they can sign up to do that on the website. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Joan. This has been wonderful. Thanks for sharing your story and all of your amazing knowledge as well. So thank you. Thanks for what you do, Ben. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Guys, I don't know how to top this episode and, and last week's episode as well. Just such wonderful guests we've had on to, to the past several shows um, over the past couple months, but especially these past two weeks. I'm just so thankful that, that Joan came on today's show, that she said yes to uh, to this interview, and I'm also very thankful for the work she's doing. And so I hope that the small contribution that we're making here at Easy Living Yards can just be a little bit of a testament to that thanks. And I want to thank you guys as well for your support of Easy Living Yards. I want to especially thank Jen and Gary from Ohio, Ashley and Dave from Ohio, Emily and Max from Ohio, Caitlin from Minnesota, Michelle from New Jersey. You guys have been incredibly impactful for me and helpful in starting Easy Living Yards here. So thank you, and thank you also for your support of the Old Growth Forest Network. And I want to thank all of you guys listening to the show as well. So those are some of the folks that have contributed and supported Easy Living Yards here. If you want to look at supporting Easy Living Yards as well, you can always check out easylivingyards.com slash membership and become a member today and make a commitment to changing your life through your landscape. All right, that's what we're doing here at Easy Living Yards. So if you're ready to make a big change, go on over and check that out. Also, if you have any questions, you can go over on over to easylivingyards.com slash ask. And right there, you can ask me a question and solve the problems in your landscape that you're dealing with right now. Of course, also go on over and check out Joan's website at oldgrowthforest.net. And there, Joan and her team are working to preserve the forests, those old forests around each of us. Every county, they're dedicated to getting a forest in every county to preserve it for the long term, to make it grow into one of those old growth forests. That's amazing. So if you guys want to find a a forest near you, or if you want to get part, become a part, become a champion for the old growth forests in your county, you can also get involved there. Or if you want to make a contribution to Joan and her, her organization, that's where you can do so. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.